Hi, and welcome to another episode of the RCH Kids Health Info Podcast, the podcast discussing and perhaps correcting some myths on common child health concerns. Today, your hosts are paediatricians Dr Margie and Dr Anthea. On today's episode, we'll be talking about COVID-19, and in particular, do kids really need testing and how can we help to keep them well? Today's episode was recorded on July 3rd, 2020. With so much change going on in the pandemic at the moment, it's important to keep up to date with the latest information from your local health authority. Joining us for today's chat is Dr Sarah McNabb, Head of General Medicine here at the RCH and working in the Respiratory Infection Clinic, where we've seen thousands of children for testing over the past few months. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And just a heads up, we will be talking about some icky things today, like tests and health procedures, which could cause some anxiety for some young listeners. So let's get started. From the Royal Children's Hospital Melbourne, this is the Kids Health Info Podcast. So here we are two months into winter, Sarah, and it's actually getting colder now. And I think it's dawned on many of us actually that this COVID pandemic is not going away anytime soon. We've actually had um, a recent increase in cases in Victoria when restrictions were reduced. So I think it's really good to take the opportunity now to talk about COVID testing for children. Uh, We know that parents are still a bit unsure about whether they should have their child tested. If a child has symptoms of a cold, as of course many of them are going to do through winter, should parents have their child tested for COVID? I think this is a really good question and it's one that we hear a lot. Um, Most winters, I think, you know, we're the three of us are all parents and I think we know that children very commonly get lots of colds through winter, lots of runny noses, lots of coughs. And a lot of the time we um, don't worry about that at all and we just keep going about our normal day-to-day life. This winter is different to any winter that we've had before. So we are in the middle of a pandemic. So our really strong message is that if your child has symptoms of a cold, um, that they need to stay at home and they need to be tested. And can you just go through for us how a test is actually done? Because a lot of people ask, well, how how is it actually done? Yeah, so um, what we do is we do a swab of the back of their throat and then we do a swab of both of their nostrils. In the early days um, of the pandemic, it was quite a deep swab of the nostrils, but now it's it's not nearly as deep as it used to be. It's about one or two centimetres into the nostril. So that sounds a little bit grim and I think there's lots of talk out there in the community, especially from people who've had this test to say it's not very pleasant. And I know I've got three kids myself and they've all been tested now. In fact, a couple of them have been tested three times. So that's that's a whole other fun challenge and story. But one of the things we found in our house is that particularly my daughter had been tested first and she um, spent a lot of time telling her brothers about how awful it was and how it felt like something was being poked into her brain and her eyes were watering and made it very dramatic. And then when it came time for them to need a test, it was really difficult for me to convince them that this was going to be okay. And when they actually went through with the process, they they said, look, it really wasn't nearly as bad as they thought it was going to be. So I guess it was a bit of an exercise in trying not to get too wrapped up in some of the drama. But at the same time, being honest about the fact that it's going to be a bit uncomfortable, uh, but it will be over and then afterwards you're going to be okay. And that 
we found that helpful. So perhaps that's the sort of thing that parents might try to do if they're in a situation where they've got to support their kid through through a test. Yeah, I completely agree. I think not talking about it too far in advance yes. gives your child a little bit of notice, but not not an overwhelmingly um, large amount of notice. Similar to when you take your children for vaccines. So. The way that we respond to things that are unpleasant really influences how our children respond. So Absolutely. if we stay as matter-of-fact as we can be, um, and unfortunately it's a procedure that we just need to do. Yes. Something we try as hard as we can to make as comfortable as possible for children. Um, we try to distract them, again, as we do for immunisations. We uh, try to give them as much control over the procedure as, as we possible. can, yes. Uh, but ultimately, we know that many children do find it unpleasant, but they tend to move on. Kids are pretty resilient; they yes. tend to move on pretty quickly. Yeah. And Sarah, in the respiratory infection clinic here at the hospital, what are the staff doing to support children before the test? It has evolved over time. Yeah. The children will go into their own room with the nurse or doctor, and they'll be have explained to them what's going to happen. And they will either sit on their parent's lap or sit next to their parent, depending what the child and the parent prefer. And the test is done that way. We've had examples of children holding the swab along with the nurse or the doctor uh, to have a sense of control over what they're doing. Um, And we try to explain what we're doing, uh, but then try to distract them at the moment. Yeah, and it's really important that the the child feels that the person under the personal protective equipment is a friendly nurse, a human, and the hospital has actually developed a video around that to to reassure children that it's actually not as scary and frightening as they might think it will be. That's really key. So when you come in for testing, all of our staff will be wearing what we call PPE, which is personal protective equipment. That's a gown, gloves, a mask and goggles. It's um, pretty intimidating for a child. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Because you can't see your face properly Mm. and you can't see really whether the nurse or doctor is smiling at you. So we do recommend children look at the video that's available online so that they can understand that this person is just wearing this equipment both to protect themselves and to protect the child and their family. And when I took my children, we went to one of the local drive-through clinics, which there are many of around Australia at our our local shopping centre. It was really quite a surreal and confronting scene in that we sat in the car watching a lot of people in PPE, sort of gowned and gloved and masks, Mm. while we're slowly approaching our turn in the vehicle to sort of wind down the windows and have this test experience. So for me in the car, I was trying to distract the kids. So I think, you know, in hindsight, it would be really helpful to have things with you for the children to do so that they're not just sitting there anxiously looking out the window thinking, this is what what on earth am I in for here? Because it's that whole lead up that contributes to it being a really um, unusual and, and worrying experience. I think that's key. I think that the other point that you've just raised is going through a drive-through testing site. And there are lots of sites that are available um, and they're changing all the time, particularly Mm. in the context of having different suburbs being more affected than others. So it's really good to look at the DHHS website to try and see where your local testing centre is and whether they're comfortable testing children. So now let's move forward a little bit. And if a child um, does come back with a positive test, uh, some parents... I think, are sort of worried about telling their family and friends that their child might be positive or telling their their child's childcare. Yes, we have experienced that and I can understand that. I think we've all done our very best this pandemic to 
socially distance, to wash our hands and do everything that we can to prevent the spread of this awful virus. I think that some families, certainly our experience is when we tell some families that their child has been diagnosed with COVID, they feel that it's a failing on their part. And we just want to emphasise that that this happens and that this is not a failing of an individual. This virus is out there and we're doing our very best to try and prevent the spread of it. But this will happen over the course of the pandemic and it's nobody's fault Um, Regarding the closure of childcares and of schools, again, that's going to happen and going to be an ongoing experience of all of ours during the course of the pandemic. We used to have all of the schools closed and now the approach of the government and of DHHS is to just close down the schools and the childcares where there is a case or um, a suspicion of a case to uh, try and keep everybody safe. Ultimately, the responsibility to notify childcare um, falls to DHHS. They're the ones that are doing the contact tracing. So some families may call ahead and say this has happened, but actually that's the responsibility of DHHS. The Department of Health, that's and right. thinking about all of this and the sort of the stigma, as we mm-hmm. talked about it, that feeling of sort of worry or, or shame, if you like, that might come with a positive test, I've heard some families say to me, oh, look, I'd just rather not know. Like, And that might feed into this reluctance to actually go and have your child tested because they just think, oh, God, what if it does turn out to be positive? What's that going to mean? And I'd rather not find out. So what what advice have you got along those lines? Again, I can understand people being worried and preferring not to know. I think we all like to bury our heads in the sand when there are things that we don't want to face. The importance of finding out whether or not a family member is affected by COVID means that we can do some contact tracing and we can suppress this virus as much as possible. So if we know that someone has it, it's really important that they stay in quarantine and don't further spread that virus. Sarah, that's a really good point and that's something that has come up a lot. People are confused about what it means to be in quarantine versus guidelines around, you know, social distancing or or physical distancing. It's a tricky one because our rules have changed quite a few times. Mm. We've had various layers of lockdown and at all times we're all social distancing, we're all washing our hands. Currently, if you're diagnosed with COVID or if you're a close contact of someone with COVID-19, then you need to stay in quarantine. And that means that you need to stay home. It's not like when you can just go out for essential reasons, such as going to the supermarket. You need to stay home unless you're going out to get some... At all times? Yeah, unless you're going out to get some medical help. And that's quite different to just following, as you say, the the guidelines from from the Department of Health. Yeah, that's right. Just to be clear, though, because again, it's confusing... For all families that are diagnosed or have a close contact who's been diagnosed with COVID-19, the Department of Health does get in contact with them and they can help you um, navigate this. To understand exactly what you need to do. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, Sarah, what about the case where you've had a test but you haven't got the result yet? What do you do while you're waiting? If you've had a test because you have symptoms of COVID-19, then you need to stay home and stay isolated until you get that test result back and until your symptoms resolve. And what about if you don't have symptoms? It's routine screening. So some people are getting tested because they live in a suburb that's higher risk, but they don't have symptoms. At this point, they don't need to do anything that's different to the normal rules for their suburb. Great. All 
right, now why don't we move now to talking about how we can actually keep our kids well through winter, through COVID. What are some of the tips that you would give to parents about how they can really try and keep their kids as well as they can be? That's a great question, Margie, because we've done some research recently here through the hospital and found that parents have found during the pandemic period that it's really hard to keep up some of your regular healthy habits. So children are not sleeping as well or as much. They're getting less physical activity and exercise, perhaps eating more unhealthy food. So some of those things that are usually part of our everyday habits in life have slipped a little bit. You know, how can we tackle some of that when there's so much going on and so many things to worry about? So true. I think that we as adults have experienced that with many of us working from home. Our exercise habits have changed, our eating habits have changed, and it's the same for our children. It's something that we need to make more of a conscious effort of this winter than any winter before, although the principles are still the same. And I think particularly around physical activity, because a lot of kids' sport obviously is cancelled, organised sport, team sport, but parents can still take their kids to the park, they can still take them around on their bikes and, and you know, just keep them physically active, because obviously there's naturally been an increase in screen time yes. with a lot of online learning, but also a lot more downtime, so potentially, you know, time playing video games and so on. So just really stressing physical activity I think is really important. And what's been really hard I think I, I know in my household is you sort of feel like you should have more time like you're home more and there's not the same extracurricular activities or you know ferrying kids here and there a lot of people aren't having to commute to and from work so there should be more time to do these things but it's strangely so exhausting even though we don't seem to be doing as much we're more tired than ever and so what seems like an obvious thing to do get into these habits and routines is in fact incredibly difficult. Yeah, and I think comparing ourselves to people online as well because I feel the same way. Where do the hours in the day go? I look at my social media and see people who are picking up hobbies and knitting and baking. There are positives. Yeah, making bread. And that hasn't been my experience in lockdown. So I think it's finding new habits and new ways of of getting outside um, that is really important for all of us. And and I think what goes along this also, of course, is that some parents are worried about anxiety or that their children's worries are increased. Obviously, this is a very strange time we're in, in the middle of the pandemic. What are some of the things you might share with parents about how they might tackle worries in their kids or anxiety? It's a very tricky question. It's very hard, isn't it? Because I think many adults have experienced anxiety through this period as well. I think we've had an experience that I don't know that many of us would have ever had before where we've been through a period of lockdown where we're not allowed visitors. Um, it's That has changed over time, obviously, but our usual support systems have all changed. And I think many uh, adults have experienced anxiety looking at what's been happening overseas with this pandemic and worried about what would happen if it came here, worried about uh, elderly parents and grandparents. Families have also been worried about the stress of the economy, which is really concerning for all of us. Many people have job uncertainty or have lost their jobs, and it would be unusual for that not to pass on to our children. Yes. And a level of worry is normal, I think, is important to understand as well when there's so much change and things are so challenging that that's part of how everyone is going to cope with that. But it's when it gets more extreme, if people are very or extremely worried or they feel like it's actually interfering with their ability to function, perhaps work or parent or, you know, just behave in a usual way, that that might be a sign they need to get some help. Seek some help. That's exactly right. And 
my general attitude is to be pretty open and honest with your children, discuss their fears and give them a safe space where they can talk about it so that pandemics shouldn't be a topic that you don't discuss at home. If your child starts to bring it up to have a natural conversation about that, it's okay to tell your children that you don't know what's going to happen and that you might be a little bit worried too. And together you can work out how to approach it. One of the things we did at the start of the pandemic in our house is we when the children were asking about things they wanted to do, we had to cancel a birthday party, for example, very early on. And it's like, oh, well, we'll do it after the pandemic. And so we started a jar that the kids labelled and it was called, you know, after the pandemic, big sticker on the front. And people, they were able to put in some notes of things that, you know, we couldn't do now that they wanted to do later. And it's still sitting on the bench. And the other day, my daughter looked at it and was like, is it going to be after the pandemic? When do we get to open the jar? And, you know, it was a really insightful moment. It's like, do you know what? We're we're all just reaching this point where it's like, well, well, is there an end to this? And that's bringing a whole nother, I think, layer and round Mm. of sort of anxiety and stress. We've got to find the energy to keep going. We've got to realise that actually things are going to be different for quite a long time. And that's hard as adults to get our heads around and even harder for us to kind of communicate that to our children. Yeah, this is all very normal. I'd be surprised to find a household where there hadn't been some worry at some point through this pandemic. Mm. If it's becoming a real issue for you as a family, the first place I'd recommend speaking is go to your GP. Yes. um, Or telehealth your GP, as many are doing at the moment. Um, the other uh, people that are good to connect with are psychologists or counsellors. Sarah, another thing I wanted to talk about uh, is the flu vaccine this winter uh, in terms of keeping kids well and healthy and protecting families. We know that we've seen less flu so far in Australia. What would you say to parents about, you know, is the flu vaccine still important this winter? So thankfully, social distancing and washing your hands doesn't just minimise COVID-19. It also means that there's less flu around this year, which is great. That said, I believe that the flu vaccine is more important than ever at the moment. We want to keep people as well as we can. Also, if you do happen to get the flu You're going to have to stay at home until your symptoms resolve. You're going to have to be tested for COVID because the the symptoms of flu are almost identical to the symptoms of COVID-19. So we want to keep our society as healthy as possible. And that's important, isn't it? Because obviously if there's less flu, then there's less need for testing for respiratory symptoms, which is an important um, impact. And people seem to be getting that message. From what I, I understand, more, more than ever, there is uptake of the flu vaccine and people are getting out there and getting that done. And that's because it's maybe something we feel like we can actually do because there's a lot about the current situation that's outside of our control, which is really hard. But going and getting the flu vaccine is something you can make a choice about and take action on. And that can feel like, you know, at least that's something I can do to make a difference. Okay, let's uh, move on to the, the next topic that we wanted to talk about today. And that's really our observation that some families seem quite reluctant to go to the doctor or to take their child to the hospital if they're sick um, or to attend a medical appointment. Uh, Is that something that that you've noticed here, Sarah, at the hospital? Yes, absolutely. Particularly early on in the pandemic, we had a large reduction, a drop in the number of patients who were coming through our emergency department. And it's hard to know whether that's because people were less sick or getting less injured as they went into lockdown. But we were also concerned that it may be because parents were worried to bring their children to hospital. I understand that there's a perception that our hospital would be filled with COVID. (laughs) Thankfully, children are not as affected by COVID as adults. So we haven't had much COVID 
um, in our children's hospital. The other thing we do is we take a lot of precautions to keep people safe. So again, we talked about PPE earlier. So you'll find that our staff are wearing a lot of protective equipment to keep themselves safe, but importantly, to keep families safe so that COVID will not be spread through the hospital. Sarah, you said most children tend to have mild symptoms, and that's certainly been our experience. What about kids getting very sick or having severe illness? So we would have all seen media in recent weeks about children overseas getting very severely unwell soon after having COVID-19. What we know is that that is very rare, even for children who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. It's very unusual for children to get very sick with COVID. Far and away, most children who get COVID will get symptoms that are similar to a nasty cold. What about um, children who have sort of an underlying illness of some sort? Asthma, this is very common in Australia. We know allergies. Is that going to put them at increased risk of getting very sick? That's a question we've heard really commonly. When we look internationally, where there have been lots of cases of COVID, we actually haven't seen COVID-19 affecting children, even with chronic illness, in a disproportionate way. So our message is that if your child was okay to go to school before COVID, they're okay to go to school now. I think that's really important because I've certainly heard lots of um, people in my own network, family and friends who have that worry and think, oh, perhaps it's better if I keep my child home. But the message really is, no, they're not at increased risk and it's okay for them to be going to school. Yes. So I think we can really understand that parents might feel fearful about taking their child to a hospital, to a medical service, but that they don't need to be. You know, hospitals are a safe place to be. The staff are doing everything that they can to keep families and kids safe. I think that's all we've got time for today. Uh, We hope that you've learnt something during this episode. COVID's certainly been a very challenging time for us all, but it's good to know that the doctors and nurses and everyone are doing all they can to keep kids safe. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I know we have talked about quite a few difficult topics today. So my general message to everybody out there is that we can do this and to please stay positive. And we're all in this together. Yes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your family and friends and follow us on your preferred podcast platform. And we'd love you to leave us a review. You can also find additional information about COVID-19 and links to all the resources we've talked about today in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Information provided in this podcast is general in nature and is intended to support, not replace, discussions with your doctor or healthcare professional. If you are concerned about your child, please consult your local healthcare professional for further advice.